Uh, welcome today to Cornerstone. I'm Tom Ewing Jr. Some of you know that I grew up in the church here, and I think there's a picture of when our family arrived in 1965. I'm the guy on the upper left there. Uh, trouble with a capital T right there. And uh, not just because, yep, amen, yeah. Mick Holmes knows all about that, yeah. And I could tell you some stories, and so could he. But uh, we had one more uh, sibling to show up. Our, our, my brother Andrew was born a few years after we uh, moved here to, to Greeley in 1965. And my dad, uh, Tom Sr., uh, was the pastor here and moved us, covered wagon from, uh, <laughs> it's a long time ago, from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, out here to Greeley. And I remember the drive in our little green VW bus uh, could barely even go the speed limit. I don't even think it did. It just chugged its way up, you know, to Colorado here, and uh, we enjoyed some wonderful times here. Uh, I just want to thank uh, Steve and Morgan and the other staff folks for uh, allowing me to share today and be a part of this season that, that you're in, in uh, <coughs> transitioning into a different worship season uh, in the church and uh, privileged to, to share today with you some things about worship. Um, as you know, we are in the, let me see if I get this right, the super special and spectacular summer sermon series in the Psalms. Did I get that right? Is that what this is? <coughs> Thank you. Um, but I remember some things about the church here, you know, and I, I mean, this is surreal. I was choking up in that last song we <laughs> We sang because it was one of my favorite hymns when I was here. I love that. I love that hymn. And, uh, but some funny things I remember about being here in the church or some fun things that I remember as a kid growing up here uh, was that I know every nook and cranny that's in this building. And I've investigated it thoroughly. Um, I love that this church has a bullet hole in the men's bathroom. How many of you knew about that? Wow. Okay, we'll do a little tour after service if you'd like to see it. Yeah, somebody doesn't want to know about it. But there was a person that the police had chased in here uh, during the day one time, and he ran into the bathroom, and a gun went off, and it shot through one of the little dividers in the men's room. And there's a, so all of you guys probably know about it, you know. But there's a bullet hole there, and as I, I remember last year being here for my dad's um, uh, memorial service, I went down and checked. It was still there. So I love that there's a bullet hole in the, one of the men's restrooms here at the church. Um, I remember the candlelight services. Uh, used to love those. We'd sit up in the balcony on this side, usually in the front row, so we'd kind of lean over and drop things onto people. Um, I do remember throwing airplanes off of the... A balcony, and somebody reminded me of that last week and said that I actually had done that during one of my dad's sermons. I don't remember that, but I do remember launching um, uh, paper airplanes uh, uh, off of the balcony. Um, but I love the Christmas Eve services partially because the music was so inspirational and the decorations and I love Christmas songs, love singing Christmas carols. But the really cool thing about Christmas Eve service was, as kids, we got to play with fire. 
Do you remember that? I mean, you know, you're lighting the candle, and then we'd be up there dripping the wax into our hand and making little formations, little models and stuff out of. We got to play with, hot, with fire and hot wax. Uh, I remember the after-church refreshments in the courtyard uh, out front and then in the fellowship room downstairs. Uh, and one of the highlights for me about First Presbyterian Church Cornerstone is the communion bread. We have the best communion bread in the world here. And if I'm remembering correctly, there was a lady named Mrs. Monsise that came up with the recipe. Is that right? Okay, Harriet Monsise. Okay, wow. And uh, so uh, when we were kids on Communion Sunday, as soon as we were done taking the Lord's body and, and the blood of Jesus, soon as my dad did the benediction, us kids would run downstairs and go into the kitchen and get as much of the Lord's body as we could. <laughs> because it tasted so good, it was better than Winchell's Donuts down the street. And uh, so I'm, I'm thinking we could have a cool tagline for Cornerstone. Harrison, maybe you want to take some notes since you're like the marketing guy. But it could be, <clears throat> Jesus tastes the best at Cornerstone. Or taste and see that the Lord is really good at Cornerstone. Um, anyway, just a few ideas. Um, what I'm, I, I'm mostly... <laughs> remember about this place is this is where I fell in love with Jesus. This is where I learned about the body of Christ. This is where I was a part of a community of people who loved one another. Many of you, I remember, and you were formative in my growing up years. The love that you gave to us undeserving as little bratty pastor, pastor's kids. But the love that we noticed as children that you had for one another, caring for one another, caring for our parents and them caring for you and, and, and all that dynamic. Um, I remember asking Jesus into my heart in Mrs. Lay's second grade Sunday school class downstairs. And I think I remember that the, that the wall color was a light green. Um, you know, the things you have in your mind uh, when you're a kid. I remember uh, receiving this Bible from my dad right here. And he was taking our third grade class through an affirmation of faith. Do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know that he invites you and is inviting you to be in relationship with him? Do you know that he has a wonderful plan for your life? And do you know that it's free, yours to receive? I loved what Donnie said on his last Sunday here. I'm kind of mad at Donnie because I kind of agreed to be a part of things here because I really like Donnie too. He was part of the package. So I'm a little upset with Donnie for leaving, but I love what he left us with. He said, in the Lord, all we have to do is receive not try to achieve. And I learned that um, here, that the gift of salvation is a gift given to us, not by our works, lest any man should boast. And then dad gave all of the third grade class, he kind of took us in here individually one by one, 
and just prayed with us and made sure we understood. And then I got this little Bible right here from, from my dad. All right, I'm going to try to stop being all weepy here. Um, the other thing I learned about was the presence of God and, and what his presence felt like, I guess, a little bit. Um, when we'd be, I'd be in the pews, usually in the balcony, but sometimes down here. Um, and we'd be singing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs, and just worshiping God. And uh, uh, sensing something that was beyond myself, beyond just a, a song, beyond just music, beyond just hearing people sing, something that was bigger than that something that was all used the word otherly, other than just what we see in the natural. And it was his presence, his divine presence with us, which the Bible says is always around us. And especially when two or more gather in his name, like we're doing today, to seek God and come before him, God desires to open up an awareness of his presence to us. And of course he does that when we're all by ourselves, driving to work in the car or going to school or whatever it is we're doing, that the Bible says when we draw near to God, he does what? He draws near to us. His desire is that we would know him and have a close relationship with him for a multitude of reasons. Mainly, he wants to bring us into the life that he has for us. So in this place, I learned... I had seeds planted into my heart about what it meant to be a worshiper of God, which is what we're going to talk about today out of Psalm 95. Jesus said when he was on the planet, he said a lot of things, but he said something about worship in John 4 to the woman at the well, and he said this in John 4, verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. Now notice, it says, but the hour is coming and now is. That's going to be a little bit of a recurring theme today. Now, today, now's the day that true worshipers can worship the Father in spirit and the truth. Another scripture that's always been important in my life is John 10.10. 10. Um, this is kind of interesting because my dad loved this scripture too. My mom loved this scripture and my dad died at 10.10 in the morning. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, a little over a year ago. So we used this scripture as, a, as something to highlight in, in the services that we did for him. But it says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But this is what I want to focus on. But I, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundant life. And what I've learned in my years of following God and trying to be a worshiper of God is that the two scriptures we just read, the fact that the Father is seeking worshipers to worship him in spirit and in truth, and that Jesus wants to lead us into life, work hand in hand. So we're going to see that as we go into um, uh, Psalm 95 today. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can certainly turn there. We're going to be using the overheads, you know. Um, I still like bringing my Bible to church, amen, because I, you know, I got my little markings in there, and I know where stuff is, and, and um, 
and should I go off the rails this morning away from the notes and the overheads, which probably will happen, I'll have this here and I can uh, reference my scriptures there. But anyway, Psalm 95, a little history of Psalm 95. It was a psalm written by David and it gives instruction on how we can approach God, interact with God, and be led into the abundant life, as we just read John 10.10, 10, that God has for his people. He also, in this psalm, Psalm 95, takes us back in time, from his time, to reference the disobedience of the children of Israel in the wilderness, in which they refused to follow God after they had followed him out of Egypt. You remember that? God brought them out of oppression, brought them out of Egypt into the wilderness, and, that, and they kind of were having some struggles there. And they refused to enter into the place that God had prepared for them, the promised land, which I'll say today would equate the abundant life that God has for us. So, and the Bible says it's because they hardened their hearts to God's voice and his directive, and they refused to follow him. Psalm 95 also has informed the church at large uh, and beyond um, uh, God's people for thousands of years in how to do church and how to come do a church service and meet together. Um, Jew, the Jewish faith has followed this. Catholicism's followed Psalm 95 and all the different Protestant uh, variations. Um, uh, communicating to us the importance that God places on our gathering together and his desired result of when we do gather together. Do you know God has something in mind when you come to church? Do you know God has something in mind when you turn to him and pray and say, God, I need your help? He comes with ideas and he comes with desire. And we're going to be talking a little bit about that today. So let's read um, Psalm 95. We're not going to read the whole thing. We'll read one through eight and then skip over to verse 11. Let's read this together. Go ahead and throw that up there. Can we just do this together? Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The height of the mountains are his also. The sea is his. He, he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear, hear and follow his voice, now hang on just a sec there. The word hear in the Hebrew language actually means hear and obey, listen and follow. And there's actually not a word in the Hebrew language that just means obey. So when God says hear, it's hear and follow, hear and hearken, hear, come on, let's go. 
I have something to say to you that I want to bring you into, not just fill your brain with new knowledge. Isn't that interesting? Then it says, if today if you hear and follow his voice, do not harden your hearts. And the word, hang on there, and the word harden means resist. Whoa, I'm not sure we should go into there. Whoa, that promised land looks really good, but there's giants in there. Uh, I'm not sure about what you're saying. I'm kind of afraid. I'm freaked out. I'm whatever. I don't really want to do that. And he just says, when God begins to speak to you, don't harden your heart. Don't push it off. But let your heart be open to it. And then he goes into the whole story of what the children of Israel did in the wilderness, and they resisted God. And because of that, they shall not enter my rest, is what God said. Sorry, your decision. And uh, God gives us a decision every time we come to him, really every day. Did you notice the word today? Do you remember in John 4, Jesus said, uh, the father, there'll be a time coming and now is today. And it says here today. One really important thing that we've learned in our lives is God is all about the now. We've all made mistakes in the past that have brought us to where we are now. The good, the bad, the ugly, right? But what God is inviting us to do, like a friend of ours says, God is always saying to us, how about now? Well, but I messed up before. Well, I should have done this. I should have done that. Well, somebody did this to me. Well, I failed God here. I did this. And God's like, yeah, how about now? How about now? And I believe today, I hope we'll all open our hearts to maybe something that God wants to speak to us, each one of us, today, now. Is that cool? I want to bring attention uh, to three truths. There's a lot of truths in that portion of Scripture, right? But three truths. One is that worship is God-centered. Three truths about worship. Number two is worship is responsive. And number three is worship is uh, relational. Um, the Lord, as we see in Psalm 95, is the center of our worship. He is the one with whom we come to meet. We enter into his presence and give ourselves to him. Our purpose in worship is to meet with him and listen to him. Uh, a guy in the 19th century, mid-1800s to late-1800s, uh, a guy named Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher and theologian, contrasted the popular worship of his day in the church with that of the theater. He observed that people thought of worship in the same way they thought of the theater. I'm going to have them put a little comparison slide up here. Oh, nicely done, uh, Harrison. Man-centered worship, which, which is kind of a, a theater approach to worship and God-centered worship. And Kierkegaard identified three primary players in a theater and in a worship service and what the criteria of whether that was a successful event or not uh, listed there as well. So in man-centered worship, or in the theater, the audience is the congregation, okay? 
And in the theater or man-centered worship, the performers are all us people up on the stage. The clergy, the pastors, the worship leaders, the choir, uh, the musicians. We're on the stage to perform for the audience. And uh, in man-centered worship, theater style, uh, the producer, the person behind the scenes writing the script, writing the play, whatever it is, planning the uh, uh, show, is God. And the criteria is of whether or not this was a successful time together was the response of the congregation, of the audience. And we see this, I mean, this is, Kierkegaard was in the mid to late 1800s and he saw this happening. And we all probably have seen that happening in our, here probably, I mean, everywhere. Because we get so kind of selfish and self-centered when we come to worship God together that we think it's all about us. And we leave sometimes feeling unfulfilled because things didn't happen our way or I didn't like what the preacher said or Morgan's jokes weren't as funny as this week, this week as they were last week or that guy didn't sing as good as the guy before or whatever it is. Uh, the choir kind of botched that song. I don't like that song that the choir sang. I wish they would go back and sing the other one that I liked, you know. And we become critical with the thought that it's God's job to communicate to the leadership and the performers that are on the stage to do something that makes me feel inspired. In God-centered worship, the Lord is the audience. We've, we all know that, don't we? The audience of one, somebody once said. And the performers are, ta-da! When the curtain opens in a worship service, God is looking at you and, and me, at us. We're the ones there to bring pleasure and glory to him. And the producers are the clergy and the worship leaders and the choir and the musicians, the people trying to help create an environment that points to God and his truth. And they themselves do that as well in, in, in the process. The criteria then is, did God come away from our gathering together with his heart being warmed and lifted like, wow, I really enjoyed meeting with my people. They were here to meet with me. They were here to interact with me. Um, I had a little bit of a wake-up call one time in, <laughs> regarding this in my own life. In earlier years, Suzanne and I were part of a, a, a church. We were on staff, and, and I was asked. I wasn't the worship person there. I had some other duties, kind of an associate pastor role. And um, uh, I was asked, though, to be on the worship team. Well, I didn't like the worship team. I didn't like the songs. Well, I liked the people, most of them. But I, I, I didn't like the songs they picked. <coughs> I didn't like the fact that the band wasn't really working well together. And I actually told the leadership, I'm like, hey, give me like five minutes with the band. And, and, I'll, and they'll sound a lot better. than Oh, no, 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 we're, we're fine. I'm like, Arr. And so they wanted me to stand up and be like a third vocalist and so just be worshiping. And they picked songs I didn't like. They sang the songs in keys that weren't good for me and I don't, didn't think were good for the congregation. 
<coughs> and I would be up there Sunday after Sunday just struggling through worship, trying to have a good attitude, but being so bugged personally because I didn't like what was going on. And I remember one time in the service, I can picture that in my mind, blue walls. I don't know what it is about walls, you know, but blue walls, and I'm trying to fake like I'm worshiping, you know, put my hand up and, you know, singing along, singing along. And in my heart, I'm having this dialogue with God. God, I can't worship you here. I mean, this just is not an environment that helps stimulate me to worship. And I'm looking around, and everybody else is having a great time, by the way. The congregation, they're into it. Oh, God. You know, there was a, kind of a more charismatic kind of church, and people are lifting their hands, and they're singing, and they're just having a great time in the Lord. And I'm the only sourpuss is the word that comes to mind in the room that is struggling with this. And I was saying that to God. I'm like, God, I just can't. I can't keep doing this. And he just kind of like he just paused everything and kind of pointed in my face, in my heart, in a loving way and said, you know, if you need everything to be the way you like it to love and honor me, who has the problem? And my idea, my mind, the place was the problem. The setting was the problem. <laughs> and, I, and I honestly I just started crying right there. I'm, I'm the problem. I'm sorry, you know. <laughs> and, uh, and I learned something uh, that, that day that was really uh, important for me. God is always worthy of my praise. God is always worthy of the offering of my life to him because he's the lover of my soul. He bought me with a price. I go down the list, right? And no matter where I am, just like Paul and Silas when they were thrown in jail, wow, that's fun. We've been serving God and we're thrown in jail. Boy, God really hasn't come through for us, but they began to rehearse. Think about what God had done. He's the rock of our salvation. Think about the last time that we were having a hard time. He came through for us. He's worthy of praise. He gave us Jesus to live as Christ, to die as gain. I mean, they're going through just the truth of who God is. And before they knew it, they were praising God in the, in the prison. And you know the story, the walls, or the gates busted open and God freed them. And, uh, and a lot of people came to Jesus because of that whole thing. Um, Charles Spurgeon says this. He was also a, a, a Baptist pastor um, in the same time as Kierkegaard. And he says, it is to be feared that much even of religious singing is not unto the Lord, but unto the ear of the congregation. Above all things, we must, in our service of song, take care that we offer, that, uh, that all we offer is with a heart sincerest and most fervent intent directed towards the Lord himself. Some thoughts from that is we praise and worship God to acknowledge who he is and what he has done. We praise and worship God to bless his name and to bring joy to his heart. We praise and worship God to exalt his greatness over everything in our lives. Our worship is first and foremost, should be, God-centered. Um, secondly, our worship is responsive. So let's, let's put up Psalm 95 again, and let's go through this and kind of look at the response, because there's 
We're, we're looking at God at who he is and worship is a response from our part on who God is and what he has done and is doing in our lives. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Okay, that's us doing stuff. Let us make a joyful noise to the, this is why we're doing it, to the rock of our salvation. Morgan prayed that today a couple times in his prayer. He was praying about the rock of our salvation, the stability of what we have in God, the sureness that we have that we are right with him, the, the promise that we have that he is our refuge, he is our safe place, that we can build our lives upon the rock, as Jesus said, and have a perfect, sure foundation. Our response is, because that's a pretty good deal. How many of you think that's a pretty good deal? Our response is to, to sing to him, to make a joyful noise to him, to come before his presence with thanksgiving. Whoop, back up. Whoop. To come before his presence with thanksgiving and, let, uh, and make a joyful noise to him. Okay, go ahead. Uh, why? Why should we do that? Uh, why should we worship him with songs of praise? Because he is the Lord a great God, our Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. Keep going. Thank you. The sea is his and he made it and his hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. When? Today. So... When? Now, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts, okay? Um, although praise and worship can happen simultaneously, because we saw in there, the first section is talking about praise elements, sing with a song of praise and thanksgiving, and then it shifts into worship. We see a little bit of a posture change here, and it says, uh, worship Come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the, before the Lord, our maker. I want to throw up just a couple definitions of praise and worship here real quick. Praise means to exalt, declare, and show forth or give credit where credit is due. Um, I love the scripture in, um, uh, well, keep, keep that one up. But before we go to that, in Psalm 96, the very next chapter that we're reading from, uh, there's a cool scripture that, that says, God is great and greatly to be praised. And to me, that just simplifies the definition of what God's job is and what my job is. God is great. Okay, that's your job, God. You're in charge of being great. And how of you know God is pretty good at being great? He's proved himself faithful for a long time. Our job is to recognize and acknowledge and declare that greatness. God is great. That's his job. Our job is to greatly praise our great God. And then in, in uh, let's go back to, to uh, first Peter there. Yeah, uh, this is an admonition from Peter. But you, us, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Other translations say, the praise of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Um, that's praise. Um, let's look really quick at worship. Um, 
Worship means to bow down because, okay, we've been praising God for all the things he's done. And now the invitation in Psalm 95 is because God's done all these great things, uh, the next step in worshiping him is to come close to him. And that's something that God invites us to in our lives as well. It says worship, come and bow down, fall down. It means worship, I'm sorry, in the Hebrew means to bow, to fall down before a superior and to ascribe worth towards something or someone. And when we worship God, as we see in Psalm 95, it says, come bow before him. But then there's also some intimacy that's happening too because he begins to care for us. We are the sheep of his hand, the people of his pasture. Um, Romans 12 verse 1 says this, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. Another translation says, in view of God's mercies. And aren't you glad that God views you through the lens of mercy? <laughs> because he could look at us a lot of different ways. If he paid a little more close attention to my behavior every day and the thoughts I'm thinking. But the Bible tells us that in his presence, there is therefore now no condemnation. Paul says that earlier in Romans but here he says, I appeal to you because by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So here Paul is saying the, the way to worship God really spiritual, you want to be really spiritual in your worship, is to present your bodies to him as a living sacrifice, holy, which is holy and acceptable to God. And the word present there means not just to say, ta-da, I'm here, God, but it means to align myself with. It's a compound word, para esteemi in the Greek. And it means, para, we get our word parallel from. So it means to come alongside, and esteemi is the presence of him. When we worship God, we adjust our lives to accommodate that which we value the most. Now that sounds maybe really nice, but it's hard, isn't it? When we sense that God is saying, this is what I'm asking you to do. This is what I'd like you to give to me. This is what I'd like you to step into or whatever God is doing that he's asking us to align ourselves to. So my little quick definitions now of what praise and worship is, praise involves declaring the greatness of God. Worship involves aligning to the greatness of God. And actually, this is where the fun really starts. It's kind of a neat thing. I remember back in the day, um, not back as far as when I first started coming to church here, but our youngest son, Tucker, was maybe four or five years old. And uh, we have three children. Our daughter, Morgan, was playing the keyboards. And her two beautiful granddaughters are sitting there in the front. Uh, our, her two beautiful daughters, our granddaughters, are in the front with her. And my wife, Suzanne, was singing with us, too. And we have uh, Morgan's our oldest, and we have two sons. And our youngest son now is 32 years old. When he was maybe four years old, Four or five. He, he, his first word was basketball, Mick. You're going to love that. Who says basketball for their first word? That was Tucker. He was a little, little jock, a little sports freak. And he was 
enthralled with John Elway. And one day he says to me, he asked me this question. He goes, Dad, do you know John Elway? And I said, yeah. Number seven, plays for the Broncos, quarterback, won the Super Bowl. And he goes, no. Do you know John Elway? I'm like, yeah. He went to Stanford. He set all these records. He was drafted by the Colts. But in some kind of weird deal, he ends up at the Broncos. And so aren't we happy about that? And then Tucker's getting more and more frustrated. And he's kind of rethinking, like, my dad just is not the smartest guy in the world. I need to reframe this question. And he says this, Dad, does John Elway know you? And sorry to say, uh, no. Burst his bubble. He just turned and walked out, <laughs> you know. But see, I can go to a Bronco game back in that day and watch John Elway. I can read all the stat sheets about who John Elway is and what he's done. And I can learn all about John Elway. But it's a way different thing if John Elway got my phone number somehow and called me up and said, hey, why don't you come to my house and let's talk about football? And I would say, great, let's do that, and then we'll talk about Jesus. But um, so that would be a different thing. So here's another way to look at praise and worship. In praise, we declare what we know about God. This is in worship, we experience being known by God. And that's what God desires in worship. Worship is responsive on our side to respond to who God is. But I want, you to, I want you to know God's desire when we come to worship him is to be in relationship with you and me. His desire is to open his heart to you and I. His desire is to reveal himself to us. So we will trust him when we come to him and when we bow down before him and when he speaks to us and says, I want to lead you into something. It's called the abundant life. And it might be a little difficult for you to follow me because we're going to take a path that maybe you might disagree, you, you may disagree with. You might not think I'm thinking about you in this whole thing. And he's, and he's like, well, I am thinking about you, but I'm thinking about everybody. But God does have our best interests in mind. When we come to God in worship and our focus is God-central, God-focused, and we yield to him in that way and align our lives to him, his promise to us is, that's my open door to bring you into the promised land. And that's not just you get to go to heaven. That is, I want to show you what the abundant life is for you right now. Even my little granddaughter down here, Farah, who turns an eight on Tuesday. Yeah, let's give Farah a big hand for just hanging in there. Hanging in there for eight years. Um, but God wants to bring her into life. I'm a lot older than that. Some of you are a few years older than me. God still has elements of his life that he wants to bring us into also. I want to skip ahead real quick to uh, a, a scripture in, um, in Hebrews. Uh, you can go ahead and just go ahead and throw that one up there. This is Hebrews 4. And interestingly enough, this scripture refers to Psalm 95. 
and kind of takes us into the present, into the now in our lives here, New Testament, uh, 19, uh, 2023, 19, my gosh, 2023, we've been in the, you know, 2000s for 23 years now, Cornerstone Church, Sunday morning, August 20th, this is what God would say to us. And this is the writer of Hebrews saying, again, he appoints a certain day today. Here we go again. Saying through David so long after, he's referring back to David talking about this in Psalm 95. Um, Saying through David so long afterwards in the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Go on to the next one. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. You've come to God. You've come to Cornerstone today. We're worshiping God in a corporate setting, or you're at home, or you're driving to work, or you're at school, or you're wherever you are, and you turn to God and say, God, I, I lift you up, and I ask you to be in this moment with me and help me understand how you want to lead me. Today, when you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, let's pay some attention to that. Let's strive to enter that rest, which is the life of God. God wants to lead us into his life. Let's enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience, which is what? What was that disobedience? Hardness of heart. No. Eh. I don't think so. And God's like, I wish you would say yes. And one, one cool thing about God, I found out, Suzanne and I, in, in our walk with God, is even when we feel like he's wanting to speak something to us or lead us in a certain way that we're having a hard time with, do you know he's okay with that? He's like, okay, well, let's back up one step. How about if I convince you that I'm right? Are you willing to keep talking to me about this so I can give you a willing heart to follow me? The Bible says in Philippians 2, it says that God is at work at us to both will and to do of his good pleasure. So God's really cool. I mean, he's covering all the angles. He won't even take, well, I don't want to do that. He goes, well, I've made a provision for that. The provision is, if you'll stay with me with willingness to be convinced of something that what you're thinking now, I'll get you there. How cool is that? Okay, let us therefore strive to enter the rest. Um, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul, of the spirit, of the joints and marrow, the discerning of thoughts and intents of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight but all are naked and exposed. Um, hang there just for a second. So what God is saying, well, my word, remember, when, when you hear him begin to speak to you, stay with him. Even if it's hard at first. This is, this is our spiritual worship. Stay with him and allow his word to come in. And what does he say? I'm going to cut through the junk. 
I'll cut through, yeah, I know you have a problem with that, but let me speak to this. I'll bring truth to you. I'll help cut through everything because I see it all. You don't see it all. I see it all. And then it goes on and says this. Uh, I'll cut through the division of the soul, the joints, the marrow, the thoughts and intentions of your heart. He knows all of it. No creature is hidden from his sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes. Next slide. Of him who we must give account. Then it goes into this piece. Since this is all kind of taken from Psalm 95. This is how we go from him speaking to us into the life that he has for us. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. For we do not have a great, which by the way, is what he's saying to us. Let's hold fast to the things he's saying. The confession of our faith is what Jesus is saying to us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Another translation says he's touched with the feelings of your infirmities. He knows the exact feelings and emotions you're having because he's feeling them with you. What commitment that he has for us. Amazing. Yet without sin, it says, let us then with confidence draw near. Go on. To the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to close today by just singing a few songs to God. And I hope that these songs are more than just lyrics and music to us but we'll use these uh, words and these prayers that we're singing to align our hearts with him. Um, Morgan, you go ahead and just play a little bit there. Let's just, uh, I just invite you, why don't we do this? Instead of let's all stand and sing these songs, why don't you just sit there? Close your eyes. And in your heart and mind, picture yourself I encourage you, you don't have to do this, and picture yourself approaching God. Draw near to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. We're all in time of need, aren't we? We all have things in our lives right now that are difficult. We all have questions in our minds right now and in our hearts. We all have hurts and pains from things that we have done or things that others have done to us. We all have questions about the future, about, well, what's gonna happen now? And what Jesus wants to communicate to us is, I'll tell you what's gonna happen now. I wanna take your hand and lead you into life. The abundant life, a life that is far more better than you can even think or imagine. Our worship of God is to look at him, focus on him as the central figure of our lives, and then draw close to him and align and adjust ourselves to him so our lives are working in concert with him to receive his provision, his care, his safety, and his direction as we hearken to his voice.